Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your instigator in saying, fuck being fine. This show is for those of you who are done living with the dumpster fire and are ready to find the tools and courage to transform, to step into more success and fulfillment in both your personal and business life. You're in the right place for stories of self-discovery, gratitude, and connection. And to help you strengthen that connection to your own inner guidance, you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. Here we are in the first episode of season two. This is such a good one to start the season with because my guest Jenny Boz and I are talking about picking yourself up after you've been knocked down. And Jenny managed to bring herself back from a very dark place. New years and new seasons are often the times people look to revise and improve on who they are. It's easy to keep yourself busy with all kinds of distractions, your job, family, travel adventures, to give you the illusion of being fine. Eventually, though, things will unravel, you'll fall out of the boat and into the storm-churned ocean, as Jenny says, and you'll have to figure out how to survive, and hopefully get to a point of thriving. Change is constant. How are you going to manage through it? After 20 years of life in the IT fast lane, Jenny Vaz felt ready to run her own business as a career coach in Sydney. She fell headlong into a dark tunnel instead and stayed there for six months. Broke, Brokenhearted and isolated, she battled her past traumas and her own worst thoughts in that time. The floor is lava, you'll hear her say. She couldn't get out of bed. And all this happened just one year before COVID. Through that experience, she developed a mindset of just 1% better for each waking day. Since then, she's gone on to create a successful coaching business to help people to heal from their trauma and overcome their fears to run successful businesses and live the lives they signed up for. Jenny is now on a mission to share what 1% better a day looks like, starting with the most foundational, self-care. Self-care that doesn't cost you energy or money. Quick reminder for community and camaraderie, come join us in the Fine is a Four-Letter Word Facebook group. Today's episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit. Here we are at the beginning of another year. How long are you going to tell yourself that being fine is good enough? The phrase, life is short, is not simply a cliche. Look at how much time's gone by already when you weren't paying attention. Do you want to spend the next 20 years the same way you've spent the last 20? And if your answer is no, what will you do differently? I'm inviting you to take action. Set up a complimentary chat with me to get some clarity around your values and direction and a strategy to get you on the right path. I only do a couple of these calls a week. There's no obligation, no pressure, just an insightful conversation. Commit to making 2022 the best year yet. Go to the Fuck Being Fine page on zenrabbit.com to schedule. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Jenny Vaz. I'm so happy to have you on my show as a guest today. Jenny, welcome. Hey, Laurie. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here. So I like to start off all of my conversations with the question 
what were the values and beliefs that were instilled in you as you were growing up that then affected some of the decisions you made as a young adult or all the way into adulthood, not necessarily just young adult? Three, I can think of three, family, education, religion, faith. So yeah, um, family comes first, the family honor, you know, you do everything to take care of the family, making sure that everybody's okay. That was what was distilled into me, instilled into me. The other was education, can't go wrong, can't miss out, must strive hard, must work hard so you can get a really good job. Don't screw it up. <laughs> that was the other important one. Don't screw up the opportunity to study. Okay. And then, of course, the faith. Um, Got to keep the faith. Yeah, growing up with a family that's Catholic, born and raised Catholic, multi-generational Catholic. So that was pretty much instilled in us. I still remember praying the rosary on my knees and I was the only one doing it. Mom and dad, and the boys didn't have to do it. <laughs> I've got three older brothers. So they had a different set of standards by that time. But yeah, you know, these were the three. Wait, why didn't they have to do it? Oh, because they were boys. And so they got a different set of rules. You know, boys will be boys. Can't control them, but you better not be oh, turn out okay. like them. And um, my my brothers and I, we are quite far apart in age as well. So that, you know, when I was nine, they were in their, they were 18 and above. So they got a, they were already in adult oh, wow. life in that, by that time. Yeah, I was still a kid. So are those values, did they serve you well? Do you still still subscribe to them? Tell me more about how that turned out. Oh, yeah. I mean, when it comes to education, for me, learning. Learning is a perpetual quest. I will constantly seek out information. Mm -hmm. I constantly have a thirst. I want to understand things that I don't even want to, don't even need to understand, except maybe quantum physics, because that I tried it, not for me. <laughs> but... Uh, I'm curious about the human mind. I'm curious about where we are in the main frontiers of science, the human mind, the universe, the oceans, the environment. We, I have this belief that as far as we go, we will only know 2% of everything that we un can understand. And there's still another 98% that we will never understand. Not in our lifetimes, maybe, but we will always just be at 2%. And I'm quite happy just learning about as much as I can with it than bandwidth. And yeah, for me, education is definite. Does that alternately give you the sense that you never know enough? It keeps me humble. That's what it does. And that's mm -hmm. where the faith comes in. And I tell this to, to people I know and I care about. We, we make all our decisions based on the 2%. Everything that's humanly possible is the 2%. And everything that is in the faith sphere is in the 98%. That is what we are trusting. That is what we are surrendering. Yes. That is what we believe in. That it kind of gets taken care of. The cosmos, believe in the power of the universe, or if you have a God, a spiritual God that you believe in, that's the 98%. So for me, it takes the pressure off me trying to be perfect and keeps me open to what's possible out there. Yeah, interesting that you said you're not, you don't understand quantum physics because a lot of that part is, quantum physics, some of the, you know, a lot of the understanding that people are coming to is through quantum physics in that tied together with that spiritual oh, realm. Fantastic. I learned something new today. So thank you for adding to it. Yeah. So, so tell me the stories of 
what, you know, how your life progressed as you got older. Um, because there was at one point, obviously the show is called fine is a four letter word. At some point your life got to a place where everything was fine, but it really wasn't fine. Fine for me was really the best way that I could mask how things were not fine, how things were really fucked up for me. And fine was a way of saying, I think I'm on a life raft. I like to believe I'm on a life raft, but actually I'm drowning. I'm drowning. And so every day I woke up. Did you know you were drowning or were were you like, so sometimes people say they're fine because they don't know that they're not fine. Did you know you weren't fine? So in my early 20s, I was focused on the career, getting a job, coming out of university, getting a job and taking care of the family, just making sure I could do all of that. And so there was no real time to focus on whether I was fine or not. It was just get on with it. In my 30s, I would say mm. it was, let's go and have the best adventure life can give us so that we can make up for the fact that we are not fine. <laughs> so it that okay. that gave me the drive to live in different parts of the world. My work took me in many places, six different countries, and now here, Australia. And I have had, I've traveled everywhere possible, nearly possible before COVID. So yeah, so I had great distractions to give me this illusion of being fine. And it was only when about three years ago, and I hit that wall, and I realized how how much of an illusion it was. Really. Was there a specific moment that you realized that? Or was it a, a sequence of events mm. that led you to un- that understanding? To me, fortunately, it was it was the unraveling of a gift, layers by layers. So imagine you have this gift that's packaged with layers of wrapping paper. The, the layers came off slowly. And I think the way I was living my life was so incongruent to how I needed to be that eventually the whole thing just fell apart and showed me what exactly was going on. Kicker was three years ago when when I, I lost someone whom I thought I would be with forever. And I finally met someone who understood me. And that didn't work out. And I was very lost and confused over that. And then eventually it was the family, the relationship with the family started to sour really badly. It was already bad. And then it just took another turn. And then it became the job. They, call, they say it's mm. a, the good things come in threes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I had that trifecta. <laughs> I've heard good things and bad things come in threes. If you'd asked me a few years ago, I would have said bad things come in threes. Now I'm like, you know what? Actually, they can be good too. Once you give yourself a chance to breathe. Yeah, it's really about the perspective, right? So in the moment, it seemed like it was something terrible. And then maybe when you get a little distance from it, you see it from a different perspective and see the the gift or the opportunity that came within that when you've fallen out of the life raft you're in deep water it's quite difficult to be grateful to be Mm. in deep water with the storm and the sea churning you and tossing you about and when you don't know how to swim or you haven't and the sharks (laughs) and the sharks right and you haven't quite learned how to swim and you don't know where you are you can't see land so it's hard to be hard to have gratitude to to know that you're alive and thank god you're alive you're like no you can't. You're thinking about survival. What were some of the tools that you were able to grab onto 
to get back onto that life raft or to find your way to, to land? Yeah. Um, by that point in my life, I had left my job as well. So I had fallen into this place where I say I had unconsciously decided to completely abandon myself. I threw myself off the life raft, wittingly, unwittingly. And being out there in the water, as much as it was about survival, it was really a place that I had no hope. I really felt hopeless. That there was no way I was going to come out of the state that I had put myself in. It was so dire. And, you know, and the reason I say this is because I'm one of those people who, I'm the source of strength for everybody else. I was at that point. Mm, I was everyone's yes. pillar. And I was never given the opportunity or the space to say, I need a pillar. I need a source of strength. And so coming out and realizing I didn't have, I thought I had the support structures to help me to get out of that turbulency. I didn't. And I learned that I had to do it by myself. You say, you know, we hear this all the time. The only one who can rescue you is you. Boy, did I learn that the hard way. I remember the days, Laurie, mm. I would be in bed and I couldn't get out of bed. You know that game the kids play lava or even adults play? The floor is lava and you got to jump off. I don't know that game. Ah. <laughs> you catch these uh -uh. videos on the internet and you say... The what, what are we jumping off? So the, when you, someone says the floor is lava, everyone has to jump off the floor and land on something else. Okay, okay. And that's what it felt like for me, except it wasn't a game. I couldn't get out of bed. I would stay in my pajamas for a series of days. If I was lucky if I brushed my hair, brushed my teeth, couldn't eat. And I know that the only thing that kept me going were these CrossFit athletes. And I would watch them on Instagram. And one of them, her name is uh, Katrina Dotter, I think. She's from Iceland and she's a CrossFit athlete. She's super buff, super strong. And every time she posted a workout video, she would be smiling so radiantly. And that would fill my heart. I'd say, oh, okay. And that would be enough to keep me going. Because most days it often felt like maybe today is the day I end it all. I make that final decision. Mm. That was how every mm. single minute, whether awake or asleep, that's how I felt. And in the daytime when I was awake, I would watch her videos. And I'll watch another athlete's videos. They were working at the gym. They're sweating, super fit. And that would be enough. Some days I would feel like, oh, maybe today's the day I can get out of bed. Maybe today I'll go for a walk. Maybe today I'll eat. Today I had to stay in bed again. And almost every day felt like that. Some days I would get a bit better. I did put on my gym clothes, but I did not go out. Just a little marginally better. Mm -hmm. And eventually the way of being became just 1%. Just 1%, Jenny. That's all. Just 1% better. And it's okay whether you're in bed. It's okay if you've made it out the door. All of that is my 1% better. And in all this time, I still didn't feel hopeful about my situation. Still felt very dire. But just holding on to this faith of whatever 1% better meant or could mean kept me going. And eventually, I came out of where did that 1% let me just focus on the 1% better? Where did that come from? I have no idea. I What I do know is that in in when I was prior to all of that in the last 18 years of my life, everything was, let's just push a bit more, push a bit more. And it was 
that ethos was also about 1%. What more can I do with 1%? It was the go-getter in me, the driver in me, get results, accomplish, achieve. And it suddenly became the survival tactic when, when I was in those dire months of my life. So it was an interesting switch in application. The previous 1%, it would get me, you know, if that's the reason I had this most amazing life, traveling and living in different parts of the world. I was shameless in what I went for. Nothing could stop me. Tell me no, and I'll prove you why I should have it. <laughs> yeah, love it, love it. And being in this new way of 1% better just meant that I could, I was actually holding myself safe. That was the best that I could do in the worst period of my life. Being in open water and struggling and telling yourself you are safe in that moment, it's me saying, okay, I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I can catch my breath. We know, we know now when the next wave is coming, when the next storm is coming. And just catch your breath. That was it, 1%. How long, how long were you in that place? And then what was it that finally got you to take the steps out the door? Because I know when we talked before this, our, in our pre-show talk, you said eventually... And obviously you're here now, you've gotten dressed, you're getting on here talking to me, you're, you're running a, your life again. How did that, how did, tell me about the progression and how you got to where you are now. Yeah. One of the reasons I left my job was because I wanted to go and do my business full time as a coach, as a life coach. And I thought, okay, I'm ready. You know, I've got all these years of experience. I can do this. And I worked for a company called Gartner where they teach C-level executives to make really great decisions about their business. So I've got, I've got the know-how and I talk to these guys on a regular basis. I know what I'm doing. And I jump out into the open ocean and say, oh, crap, life doesn't prepare you for this. Nothing prepares you for this. And I remember telling you, it felt like I was just walking away with all the knowledge in the world. And again, only the 2% that I could apply into my new reality. That was what I was, I think that was the biggest shocker. I made the worst financial, emotional, mental, spiritual, physical decisions possible because I was so not ready for the transition. And as a result, I stayed in this suspended ocean for about six months. And coming out of the ocean, I worked with a coach as well to help me with the emotional aspect of it. And I think that was one of the most important pieces. But we only got to like a third of the work to be honest, that at least the groundwork had been done where we got through the trauma, the healing of the trauma that I had been holding on to. But coming out of that, I still had to figure out who I was. I mean, who are we without our trauma? And we've lived our lives through one lens, right? And we've lived our lives through one lens or one identity. Who do you become when you're no longer that person? You know, I'm reading a book. I'm reading Joe Dispenza's book right now on... Um becoming supernatural. And in it, he talks about how we are addicted to whatever it is, addicted to the drama, or as you're saying, addicted to the trauma, addicted to worrying, addicted to whatever it is that we are addicted to and don't even realize we just plug into that every single day and live our lives the same way today as we did yesterday because we just keep plugging into that same dynamic. Yeah. You know, I was very attracted to chaos. That was my flavor. 
So anything to do with mm. chaos, even at work, they would throw me into chaotic situations because I can go in and, all right, let's, let's get this shit done. <laughs> that was my superhero strength. You can be the hero. Yes. Ta-da! Right? Um, <laughs> and after all of that, um, after I did the emotional healing, I saw calm for the first time in my life. And I went, what the fuck do I do with this? I do not do well in calm. <laughs> calm does not serve me. Calm is not my jam. I cannot be calm. This is unusual. What do I do? And I started like, maybe I need to find chaos again. <laughs> Where can I get chaos? Because that was the old mm -hmm. way. And it was the only way I knew how to do it. You know, we, like you said, we are addicted. We are addicted because it's familiar. It's comfortable. It's comfortable. Right. Right. It is familiar and comfortable. It doesn't serve us necessarily, but it's familiar and comfortable. It might not even actually be comfortable. It's just familiar. Yeah. And, and when I say it's comfortable, it's if you've been sitting in a swamp for a very long time and you've given up trying to fight being in a swamp, you're just going to hang out in the swamp. And then even if you see right, green grass. Right. You have the best analogies. <laughs> Even if you see green grass, you're like, no, my swamp's good. I'll stay in here. Ugh. Look at my skin. It's glistening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is what it does, yeah. right? When you say, so, my life's fine. You escaped what you from your about? swamp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so now you, you've adjusted to the calm and built built your business, built your life on based on that yeah. moving forward. So, right. How does it feel? It feels phenomenal. You know, when I finally came out of that darkness, every day became the ethos of 1% better. That was all I was focused on. And the foundation of it is still the foundation that supports my life right now. That very first, that, those next six mm -hmm. months, your comeback is way more important than the fall how you come back. That's what I've learned. Yes. And my comeback was so effective because all I did was 1%, Jenny, just 1%, just 1%. And if it meant 1% looked like staying in bed because I need to have a good old cry because what the fuck do I do with this calm? <laughs> and Or staying in bed meant that I, I still didn't have my faith. I still didn't have my beliefs. I didn't have my hope. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I knew that just 1%, I'm going to take care of myself. Everyone's talking about self-care today. Boy, did COVID teach us about how not to have self-care. You know, before COVID, we were going for our right. massages, our holidays, the spa, the shopping, the eating. That was self-care. But COVID told us, you know, you need to figure this out again. Try again. And self-care became... Self-care means something different than just getting massages yeah. and, and spending money on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Self-care became, it's okay to cry. It's okay to fall apart. Yes. It's okay to have a bad day. We all have them. We normalized, you know, self-care normalizes the experience that we have as humans. That's what it did for me, right? This, this is my human condition. This yeah. is how I experience my emotions, my world, and my self-care, my version of self-care just normalized that for me. And I still do that today. I don't spend the whole day crying now. It's maybe one minute. So sometimes, some days. Yeah, allowing yourself to have those emotions and those experiences. Yeah, exactly. And 
from 1%, it becomes 10% better. It becomes 30% better. In, in one year, in, if you just did 1%, it would be 365. But if there were days you had 10, 20. I remember I, I have a journal where I was recording everything. And in there, I still do my journal. And it's the reason is because it's kept me alive. You know, these are the things that I care about. I wrote down, mm. today I cried. I allowed myself yes. to cry. Today I went for a walk. All the 1% that I did, it was to recognize. Yeah. I love that you just said that you wrote in your journal, today I allowed myself to cry. That's so powerful. Yeah. The, the thing that I missed was, missed out before was allowing myself to just be me. I could never mm. find that space when I was going after my goals and I was living this great life. I didn't allow myself to be me. I was hiding the real me. Now I take care of her more, like the most precious thing I have. She's the most important person in my life. Yeah. Are there other techniques or, or things that you do? So you journal. Are there other things that you do to take care of yourself as well? Are you now doing CrossFit? What are you... <laughs> Were you inspired by the all those crossfitters? Uh, what are you? I still am. There's a there's a part of me in my head that's going. We should do Spartan. I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, okay, for, I had to ask. Yeah, you know, for me, working out is important. But these days, what I'm doing is I do a lot of walks. So I live by the ocean, and it's great to just go out and stretch your legs, smell that salty air, sit in the sun as the weather warms up. And or, ah, yes, you know, let your feet touch grass, even that in itself is soothing. And there are days where I'm not ready for that, and the best thing I can do is decompress in bed. All I do is I lay down for 10 15 minutes, mm -hmm. I don't even have to cry, I don't have to force anything on myself, I just go, <sighs> and that's enough. One of the things yeah. that I learned in these last few years is telling myself my feelings, my thoughts are okay. They are safe with me. I don't need to judge or shame. I've stopped judging and shaming myself. And even when I catch myself doing that, I'll be like, nope, we decided we're not going to live like that anymore. We decided we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. I, that is another, you just keep dropping all this powerful stuff. <laughs> But making that decision, because that decision is that first point. Like you have to decide before anything else happens. You decided that 1% better was going to be the goal. You decided to let yourself be okay with crying or staying in bed all day if that's what you needed to do. It's that decision point. Yeah. And what amuses me is people say, oh, it's because you're single. It's because you don't have children. So you have that luxury, right? You, you live on your own. So you have all this luxury that you can decide these things. I can't. And that breaks my heart because we've, we've been programmed, socially programmed to believe that we cannot make these decisions because of these obligations that we have. And that's how I used to live my life. And now I have an acute awareness of how much more power you have in making such decisions. But if you don't recognize that you need to make such a decision, then everyone else is going to make the decision for you. Yes. Thank you for sharing that, that important point of it all. 
Yeah. We, we have our obligations. We have work. We have children. These things happen. This is life. We have illness in the family. This is life. It's going to keep coming at us 800 miles an hour with curveballs and whatnot. In that moment, we can keep driving forward with our eyes closed, with our eyes wide open, or driving by looking in the rearview mirror. Some of us keep looking back into the past. You and I know, and anyone who drives mm -hmm. knows, or even if you're walking on the street, you need to keep looking forward, keep looking around. You need to be active right. and present in the moment. And that requires making these decisions, saying, I'm not safe to be driving right now. I need to pull over. I need to just take care of whatever it is that I'm go that's right. going on. Same, the same principle applies. This has been so enlightening. <laughs> this conversation. Thank you so much. Now, before we go, I have to ask, what is your hype song? What's the song that you listen to when you need an extra boost of energy? When you finally get yourself out the door to go for a walk, maybe. Okay. Or when you feel like <laughs> dancing, when you make the decision to dance, what is the song you listen to? Jenny? Oh, all right. I'm going to sing in slightly off key, but who the fuck cares? It's from the lovely lady Diana Ross and the song You're gonna sing it for yes. us. I'm Ooh. coming out. I want the world to know. Gotta let it show. I'm coming. That was a fantastic rendition. <laughs> Thanks. It's an honor. It's an honor. So yeah, that's my that's my theme song right now. Beautiful. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, people who listen to this podcast want to get in touch with you and continue a conversation with you, ask you questions, how can they reach you? Awesome. Check out my work at jennyvars.com. That's why, where you'll find out what I'm up to and you find out more about what's happening with 1% Better. My focus is to make the world 1% better every day. So if you want to get on that bandwagon, check out the site. If you want to get in touch to see how else you can make your life 1% better, drop me an email, jenny at jennyvars.com, and I'll respond to you. Beautiful. We'll put links for that in the show notes as well, so we'll make it really easy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jenny, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Laurie. Woohoo! To carry on Jenny's analogy of being in an ocean, so many big waves of wisdom in our conversation. Here are a few of the key points I heard. Number one, your comeback is way more important than the fall. No elaboration needed on this one. There's a reason I made it the title of the episode. Number two, what more can you do with just 1%? Whether you're pulling yourself out of a deep well or striving for greatness, reaching for just 1% better can give you enormous encouragement or results. Jenny found that focusing on that small 1% allowed her to keep her head above water and keep breathing. No matter how hopeless your situation looks, and Jenny's was pretty dire, can you move the needle 1%? Number three, Jenny had to examine who she was when she wasn't who she had been any longer. She had been addicted to chaos and fixing chaotic situations. That was her superhero strength. But once she grew and did some emotional healing to find her way out of that environment, she didn't know how to deal with the calm. What are you addicted to? You can find your answer to that question by looking around and noticing what keeps showing up in your life. There's a reason it keeps showing up, even if you claim you don't like it or want it anymore. The only way out is awareness, which is always the first step. 
Number four, let's redefine what self-care is. Self-care is more than getting a massage and spending money on yourself. Real self-care is allowing yourself to feel your emotions and experience your human condition. Allow yourself to simply be you. Number five, Jenny decided to stop judging and shaming herself. She decided. Regardless of what obligations you have in life, you always have the power to make your own decisions. But if you don't recognize that you need to make such a decision, then everyone else is going to make the decisions for you. Don't let your obligations become an excuse to not make decisions that are in your best interest. Number six, life is going to keep coming at us at 800 miles an hour with curveballs. You can keep driving forward with your eyes closed, with your eyes wide open, or by looking in the rearview mirror. The only way to stay on the road is to keep looking forward. Keep looking around. Stay active and present in the moment. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend or a colleague. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other people like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. You can join me on social too. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. Lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. And if no one's told you this week, I'm proud of you. Take good care. <laughs>